Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. My name's Anthony. I lead Ivy Church. It's been a few weeks, so I'm really excited to be able to speak to you today. We've been in a series all about what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit, which we called Get Fruity. I started the series by saying God expects to see some fruit from you and me, from your life and mine. After all, he's invested so much in us. He's given us absolutely everything that we have. And if that were not enough, he even gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die and rise again to save us. So as we wrap up, as we review this series, it's important to check the fruit. When I was a teenager, I ate a toffee apple. I bought it at the fair, Ashton Wakes. It looked great on the outside, really tasty, but it was dark. And once I was biting into it, I wasn't exactly sure about the inside. I ate it anyway, only found out how bad it was about 10 minutes later when I got on the waltzer and started being sick. And I found out, and everybody else standing near the waltzer found out too, it was bad fruit. Jesus said, you will know people by their fruit. He said this, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. It's pretty simple. It takes a while, but what grows shows. What grows shows. So what's been growing in you? What's been growing in us? We've seen the passage about the fruit of the Spirit in the Bible letter called Galatians. And Paul wrote that when we're controlled by the flesh, that becomes obvious or plain. The Living Bible lists these things that become manifest, become obvious as impure thoughts, eagerness for pleasure, idolatry, encouraging the activity of demons, hatred and fighting, jealousy and anger, the constant effort to get the best for yourself, complaints and criticisms, the feeling everybody else is wrong except me. Envy, murder, drunkenness, and wild parties. But then, the good fruit that the Spirit wants to grow, and you can watch the brilliant song on IKTV to remind you of it, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And today we're looking at the last one, which is self-control. It's wise to check the fruit. Give it a sniff. Give it a squeeze. See, when you get squeezed, what is inside comes out when you get squeezed and it becomes obvious what's inside comes out when you're squeezed if it's a lemon the lemon is what comes out I can't even squeeze that I'll have to make a little hole in it but see what we try and do is we clean up the outside and we want to present a nice image but when we're the pressure's on Jesus is out of the heart come evil thoughts if I squeeze an apple I'm going to get apple juice out. Why? That's all it's got. If I squeeze the orange, I'm going to get orange juice out because that's what's in there. It doesn't matter who squeezes it. It doesn't matter what squeezes it. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. What's inside is what's coming out. And he says it becomes obvious. So what fruit are we producing right now? Are we maturing or going off? Check the fruit. That's what this series has really been all about. And we've said right the way through, this is not about trying, but training. God will do what we can never do by our own effort alone, if, if we cooperate with the Spirit. 
if, if we reject those works of the flesh and take on new mindsets, new attitudes and practices, because you know what? God loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you like that. And today we're going to look at the one fruit of the Spirit that we have to take responsibility for, for what's growing and what's being produced in our lives, because nobody else can. Self-control. So right now, wherever you are, who do you think is in charge of your self-control? Point to that person. It's a fruit of the Spirit, so it's something God wants to grow. But wherever you are, point to the person in your life who is responsible for self-control. Did you point to you? I really hope so, because we can feel like we're not in control of, of what's going on, because there's so much around us that's out of our control. Anybody else this year feeling like life is just so out of control these days? We get headaches, backaches, ulcers, all because of stress. And we're going to provide a link to a document that Zoe wrote this week. We hope can help you with that. So you should be able to find a link to that. You know, doctors do something called stress tests to check your heart. When you're squeezed, what's coming out of you? When you're stressed, what's coming out of your heart? Everybody has stress. It's just natural. It's what your body and your mind do as a response to change. And there's so much of that that builds up throughout this year. And we can get fearful, all of us, thinking about what we've got to do and the places we've got to go and how are we going to get there and how do we get this done or that done when this changed and that changed and we didn't get enough sleep but still we've got to be on another Zoom call or got to fill in those forms or buy the tea and buy the nappies and we're in this state of hypervigilance all the time. How can we not be fearful when everybody I see in the bank looks like a bank robber? And then I'm stuck in traffic and I'm listening to all the bad news these days that I've got to listen to all the bad news. And why are they all here anyway? Aren't we supposed to be in lockdown? I bet none of them are doing anything urgent like me. They should all be somewhere else. And I don't want to be here anyway. And I've always got somewhere else that I need to be next, which means I can't really be anywhere. I'm never actually anywhere I want to be because I never stop. I'm always on the way somewhere else. So I can't enjoy where I am. There's always something, always somebody somewhere when the world just feels out of control. Now the Greek word that the Apostle Paul uses here that we translate as one word, self as two words, self-control, is one word, it's enkratia. It's a very interesting word. It literally means in power. Like who's in power in 10 Downing Street? Which has been a very good question this week. Proverbs 16 verse 32 says, it's better to rule over yourself than over a city. So who's in power over me? Enkratia means I am responsible. I'm able to make a response, to choose a response. There's a gap between the stimulus and my response. I don't always have a choice about what happens, but I always, always, always have a choice how I respond. Who's in power? Enkratia. The old translation is like the King James Version, call it temperance, which we've come to associate, of course, with not drinking alcohol. Five years ago this week, I was, sorry, last week, I was walking along a Devon beach, Sidmouth, with Zoe, and I turned to her and I said, I'm going to stop drinking alcohol. Notice I didn't say I'm giving it up, because you only give up something that is doing you good. And I'd come to the conclusion that drinking alcohol was no sacrifice mentally that made all the difference for the decision that I made I'd realized alcohol doesn't give me control in my life it can actually make me out of control and it could take control 
That's why the Bible says, do not be filled with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. You can get as drunk as you want on God, but you can't be full of both. So I didn't give up drinking. I just returned to being me, in control wherever I am, whatever I do. If I'm at the party or at the pub, if I'm at home, if I get things wrong, I'm just me. If I say something ridiculous, I'm responsible. It's not the drink talking, it's me talking. And now I have more fun, more money, better health because of the decision I made regarding self-control. But I don't want to talk so much about alcohol because all kinds of things can control us. Remember that list we just read from Galatians earlier of the works of the flesh. I want to talk about the decision because decisions lead to destinations which in turn lead to a destiny. And self-control is actually all about the power of decisions. Maybe you've heard this before. Plant a thought, reap a word. Plant a word, reap an action. Plant an action, reap a habit. Plant a habit, reap a character. Plant a character and you reap a destiny. The book of Proverbs also says, as you think, so shall you be. Notice it doesn't say, as you be, so shall you think. We're not meant to be controlled by what's going on outside of us now that we're led by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to let outside circumstances determine our inner world. By his power, it's the other way round. From the 20s to 1950, the dominant school of psychology became known as behaviorism. This said people were simply products of their environments. It started when Pavlov's dogs salivated, not because they actually had food in front of them, but because they had a bell ring, and that conditioned a response. They moved on. Horrible things like giving electric shocks to rats and other animals and even humans because they decided, they believed you could condition certain beliefs and emotions and you were going to get particular results. It's like, if this happens, this must happen. In the mid-1960s, a young psychology student called Martin Seligman wondered what would happen if instead of making the electric shocks predictable, you made the pain completely unpredictable. No rhyme, no reason to him. I hate the idea of these experiments, but the idea was, when they, well, what they did on the dogs was they punished them randomly and unpredictably. And do you know what the dogs did before very long? They no longer even tried to respond. They learned there was nothing that they felt they could do except fear. So the dogs just lay there and learned to accept their fate. And that became Seligman's big claim to fame. It was called learned helplessness. This became widely accepted as the explanation for why victims of domestic violence don't leave, why oppressed groups so rarely rise up. Learned helplessness enabled and expanded the understanding of depression and mental health. It said that when we feel as though we've got no control over our lives and it just seems random, we give up mentally, emotionally, become passive spectators of our own existence. And they also found that people who decided they were helpless in one area, also learned to believe that they were helpless in, ever, in, in other areas too. So in the end, they didn't even try with those either. When everything seemed fine, normal, then something terrible happens. And then out of the blue, another one. How we think about it makes all the difference. Then, however, in recent years, Seligman did something few people ever did. He returned to question not just the prevailing opinion, but his own theory. And he reevaluated it. It takes great humility to do that. 
especially when everybody's celebrating your genius. His understanding developed as he looked at advances in neuroscience, how the brain works, and he revised his famous theory in a way that I think has huge ramifications for us as we seek to understand ourselves and even the times that we're living in. When I know every individual person connecting here today and every family, everybody here has gone through one of the most awful, random, shockingly unpredictable years in history. Seligman now believes learned helplessness, his own theory, had it backwards. He said what we need to realise is not that we started out with everything fine, but as we grow up, things happen and we have no control or little control over them. And so we end up becoming helpless and that's inevitable that we learn to be helpless. Why? Because not everybody does. In fact, it's the other way around. We all start out completely helpless in a messy world that we have no control over. But we must, and actually, yes, we can learn ways to take control over our lives you see the difference this isn't learned helplessness you have to learn hopefulness and actually that fits so much better with the story the bible teaches to help me to make sense of this world i'm in when i read this book i learned that you and me were born right in the middle of a cosmic battlefield No wonder it's tough and rough and hard at times. Yet there's still beauty. There's still glorious goodness. But however short or long our life is, every day we are going to be surrounded by troubles and terrors and tragedies. See, when you're a baby, a child growing up, you are helpless, but you learn to deal with it. You can learn to deal with it with hope. One of the most vital things good parents teach kids is to grow up. We don't do them any favours if we always mollycoddle them, protect them, prevent them from facing the truth about life's inevitable hard realities. You see, we don't say because it hurt you when you fell over after your first step that now you've got to stay in a buggy all your life all wrapped up. You cheer on the progress, you hold them steady and you line them up again. Good parents help their kids understand how to increasingly take ownership and responsibility for their own lives and decisions, to experience consequences so they're not still kids, not still passive victims when they're meant to be adults because they've learned to be in power over themselves. That's self-control. Feeling helpless, out of control is the default state in this sin-soaked, broken world. The fruit of the Spirit, you see, doesn't grow in a peaceful garden, but in the middle of a minefield. I learn to love when people are hard to love. I learn peace when life is stressful. I learn joy when everything's not making me happy. And I learn self-control when I let Jesus control me. More and more and more. See, hope and peace doesn't come from outside of us, does it? Out there is a very bad place to look for lasting hope, peace, security, joy. This is an inside job. And it's a lifelong learning. And we all stumble at times, but we can get up. That's what the father wants. And he cheers his kids on every time we pick ourselves up. Hope is something we can learn. And patience is something we can learn. But we've got to practice these things. And we've got to protect these things within ourselves. See, for decades, the method in psychology was you were once happy, then some things came along or somebody came along in the world and it messed you up. And that story, if we believe it, leads to learned helplessness. 
But learned hopefulness operates in the same world in the opposite way. And again, it's a much more biblical picture because this is the most honest book in the world. And it tells me all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all people because all sinned. It tells me now all creation's groaning. And it says, we must pass through many troubles to enter into the kingdom of God. Because, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This tells me God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. And it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It says, now those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, walk and not be faint. For in this hope we were saved and hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by his Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Do you see how we learn hope? It's right here in the Bible if we will grab hold of it. Now, when I think about self-control, I always picture the police horses that I spent a few months with when I was a police cadet, just down the road from here at Huff End. Huge animals, 17 hands, incredibly powerful. They stood steady at fights or football matches, no matter what was going on around them. How? Training. In the training, they get a football rattle or even fire a gun, and the horses were in control. But they weren't born like that, were they? You know, horses are not naturally at the top of the food chain. Out in the wild and in history, they'd be prey and not predator. Horses are naturally hyper alert to their surroundings. They're easily spooked. They're a lot more flight than fight. But those guys at Huff End who were getting me ready for the world of work wouldn't teach me to ride until I'd learned to surf. So for weeks, they gave me a shovel and I did the dirty jobs. But as part of that, I learned how to bed a horse down. And you never forget, when the horse is settled, when it's at peace, when it's at peace with you, it kind of makes a noise like a big breath goes out through the nostrils. And they relax and they drop their head. And it's like, it's okay. We do that too, don't we? When we get relaxed and we tell ourselves it's all okay. But when was the last time you let yourself do that? Have you learned to do that? I'm trying to learn to do that more and more every single day now. And it's making a difference inside me because we're all living in this high stress, high vigilant world, mad pace, mesmerized by media, enchanted by endless updates that bring us down, down, down. Together with all of our own troubles, we're worried about people we love and we kept bang up to date being traumatized by every other horror and hurt and heartbreak that we can't control in the world. Question, is that making us more or less hopeful? Is it making us happier, more loving or kind? What's coming out when we are squeezed? I'll tell you, what's inside comes out. So is there love, peace, patience? I know even as I ask, it's not fair. It's not a fair question right now because I get frazzled. I get fried too. The problem is when that becomes our new normal. So as this series closes... And I'll be teaching actually on something in the next couple of weeks that's something that is a major stress for people and you don't want to miss how to deal with that better. I want to bring three suggestions, three practices 
we have to practice that are under our control. And if we practice them, well, I'm not saying they'll make everything okay. Nobody can guarantee that. But they make us a bit more okay about it not being okay right now. Is that okay? Okay. Three things, and they all start with one. So you can remember, if you make a note of this, maybe set reminders in your calendar. They can change everything on the inside, even when we can't change anything outside, as we learn hope. The first one to try to practice is a one-minute reset, a pause. We'll do it in a moment. We'll do it in a minute. Then the band will lead us. But you can do it any time, any day, even in this crazy world. Because Jesus said he didn't come to take us out of the world. He wants us to overcome in it. So I'm trying a few times a day now, even more in lockdown, to take one minute to pause, to settle down, to breathe, to come back to myself and back to God. We'll have a go at that in a moment. The next one is one day at a time. People talk about living in the past, but actually, you know what? Nobody can live in the past. You can only live now. But you can waste now by staying stuck in the past. Or sometimes I worry about the future, but I've got no control over the future either, and neither do you. You have no control at all over next week or next year. And if we haven't learned that this year, maybe we never will. I hope we do. Because I can waste today being consumed about things that have already happened that make me feel sad from the past or worried about the present that I've got no control over. Or I can live today in the present moment. And actually, that is the one thing that you always have control over, always. And if there's been one phrase I've heard myself say, mostly to myself, but also to other people in this year of focus, it's those five words, one day at a time that's the only way we're going to get through this we've got no choice but to take it one day at a time because that's how life comes to us and this is how we learn hopefulness Jesus said why do you worry about your life what are we going to eat what are we going to wear he said even a bird brain can learn to take it one day at a time Matthew 6 verse 34 he said do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own is that true of course it is because he's the truth so one minute rest one day at a time and finally one thing at a time trying to do everything all at once is inefficient and impossible do one thing at a time get that done then do the next thing. You'll be more successful and it's a lot less stressful. See, we can overcomplicate God too in ways that end up exhausting us, in ways that we never wanted. Some religions have tried to get us better over and over in like a a never-ending cycle called reincarnation or others demand perfection according to an eight-fold path or five pillars. But Jesus said one thing, one thing matters. Love God and love people. And it sounds like two things, but that's only because you can't do one without the other. The Apostle Paul, with all that he had going on, wrote from prison, one thing I do. I was at our grow group this week when we looked and we saw that Martha was getting her busy on and she was getting all flustered and Jesus said this, you're concerned about so many things. Only one is needed. His sister was just sitting there at Jesus' feet knowing it's all going to be okay because she was with him. In the same busy world, she'd learned the one thing, the best thing. And Jesus said, nobody can ever take that away from her. 
So let's do it ourselves now with a one-minute reset. Band are going to come up, and you can sit or lie down, and you can do this again later, anytime. Maybe set a reminder to do it in the diary every day in the week too. Surely you've got one minute to get into that place like the horse where you can just breathe and let go. I'm learning this from a a book I've been reading, a guy called John Eldridge, and he talks about just taking this pause one minute. We can teach our kids to do this too. I think it's vital that we do this actually for our children if we have children. A simple 60 seconds to be still and know that he is God. So get comfortable wherever you are. Breathe. Maybe lie down if you want to or sit down or just give yourself some space. In a few deep breaths, breathe in. And then let them go slowly. Close your eyes, if you like, and just listen to my voice. And as we enter the reset, just let it all go. Thoughts that come and go about what I've got to do, the stuff I'm behind on, the people I carry around. Let it go. And I pray, just say, pray this Jesus, I give everything and everyone to you. Say that. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you I just keep on repeating it you can repeat it and and I'm opening up my hands I'm releasing and detaching I'm relaxing my face and my neck I give everything and everyone to you Lord you know doing this one thing today I'm making a space for your spirit to move I'm not trying to figure it all out not trying to fix it myself I'm not trying to even say I'm going to do this permanently I might come back to those things that come into my mind later but right now I can let go for a brilliant minute with the Lord as I breathe in Holy Spirit and I exhale give it all to you everyone and everything one minute one thing one day at a time we're just giving ourselves space give it all to him Don't overthink it. Picture Jesus, like Mary, saw him right in front of her. What's he saying? Say it again out loud, like you mean it. Lord, I give everyone and everything to you. And what's he got to give you back? then he said I can ask so I ask ask for more of God don't ask for all the answers but Jesus I need more of you fill me with your life with your love so I can have that inside of me when I'm squeezed so I can be in control so my mind is not controlled by what's going on on the outside but by your spirit living within me and love joy peace learning to hope because my hope is in you. May the Spirit come where you are. Meet you, Holy Spirit, where you are. Right now in lockdown, we can have time. We can find space to practice more and more. You can reset anytime. Maybe even between one task and another. Eyes open in the car. Eyes closed after a phone call or a task. One minute to reset taking it one day at a time and one thing at a time learning hope 
in control of what we can control. This is how the fruit grows. So we abide and bear much fruit. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org/media.